All right, welcome to the State of the Lakers presented by Dash Radio. Thank you guys for making some time on a Saturday. This is going to be really quick, maybe 10, 15 minutes. My wife is out of town, had a little bit of extra free time, had a couple of thoughts about a couple of NBA-related topics that I wanted to touch on, so I figured we might as well hop on a spaces really quick. Um, my goal is to hit on Steph's shooting, this slump that he's been in for the vast majority of this season. I want to talk a little bit about Grayson Allen and, uh, you know, kind of how I feel about what makes him different from some of the other dirty plays, dirty players that we see around the league and why I think he can be so problematic. And then at the end, I want to talk about Russ in this ridiculous little media tour that he's been doing over the last couple of days that I think is kind of tone deaf and uh, completely unaware of what Laker fans are actually looking for from him. So three quick topics, like I said, 10, 15 minutes. I appreciate you guys coming to hang out. Let's go ahead and get started. So, Steph shooting. As we know, he is below 40% from three this year. And for basically the last, basically half of their games, 20, 25 games, he's shooting well below what we would expect um, from a player of his caliber. His field goal percentage has been in the um, uh, high 30s, and his uh, three-point percentage has been in the low 30s for this stretch. And I, you know, I see Warriors fans in particular kind of working through it in a bunch of different ways, trying to blame stuff with rotations, trying to blame stuff with his shot selection, trying to blame stuff with, you know, the way he's being utilized on and off the ball. And I remain just completely and utterly unconcerned. I can't think of anything that worries me less than whether or not Steph is going to start making shots at some point. Um, the reason why is because he looks great physically. And this is the big thing that we look at here. You know, when I watch people get upset about LeBron having a rough game or poor shooting night or failing to get a step on a guy, a lot of times all I have to do is see one or two moves that he might make over the course of the game where I can say, oh, like his legs are still there. He's just having an off night forever for whatever the reason might be. Now, when it comes to, when it comes to uh, jump shooting in particular, it gets a lot more finicky because there's so much related to the mental side of the game. Like, for instance, Steph this year is shooting 56% when he's tightly guarded, very tightly guarded, I should say, according to NBA.com. He's shooting 43% when he's tightly guarded. He's actually been making the tougher, you know, classic Steph Curry types of shots, and he's been missing the wide open ones. His wide open three-point percentage is lower than it was last season. So it's one of those things where it's very fluky to me. I think a lot of it is confidence related. You know, like I said, jump shooting is kind of like this. It can be one of those things where, you know, it gets in your head and, and, and you start to overthink things and you get, you stop, you stop thinking about your form and you start thinking like you've got the yips or you just don't have it tonight. Or man, I just wish one of these would go down and it just gets in your head and it can really be it can really be a problem. That's what's different between a jump shooting centric player and a player who likes to get to the rim. They can typically impact the game no matter what just by, you know, pushing through that physical barrier of trying to put their head down and get to the rim. Now, to be clear, Steph has still had an amazing season. I think there's a case to be made that he's still our MVP because of all of the attention that he drags all over the court. There is you know, if you look at the Warriors metrics, the way that their teammates perform with step on the step on the floor is vastly better than the way they perform with Steph off the floor. So we have to be clear in understanding that Steph 
just because he's not shooting particularly well doesn't mean he's having a bad season. He's been very good defensively. He's been very good in in big moments at the end of games. He had another big uh, crunch time moment last night. I actually think that's going to be the one that gets him going because I do believe this is associated with his confidence. So again, I he looks great physically. The team looks great. I'm not even remotely concerned about Steph. I think he's going to be fine. The one thing I was going to say, if I had to be really nitpicky with Steph, is related to shot selection. And I've noticed this, especially over their last couple of games. You know, Steph is a gunner from three. He's one of the few guys in the league that being a gunner from three works for him. It's actually beneficial to the team in a lot of ways. That's where he gets his gravity from. However, Steph has been in the league for a long time now. You know, there in 2016 and 2015, so much of what he was doing was catching the league off guard. And his style of play was so unusual that he could have success, you know, basically based on defensive schemes, having no idea how to handle what he was bringing to the table. Now it's completely different. Over the course of the last six, seven years, there's been a blueprint formed for how to guard Steph Curry. Now, for the record, there's a blueprint that exists for every superstar in the league. So I don't mean that as a negative. I just mean during that early phase of the Steph era, he there was no blueprint because he was so unusual. There was No one had seen anything like it. No one knew how to guard him. Well, now there's a blueprint. You rough him up off the ball, you grab and you hold so that as he's doing his off-ball actions, you fatigue him and it makes it harder for him to move around. And essentially, you get somebody on your team who's a ball hawk, who does a good job of making sure that after Steph gives up the basketball, he doesn't lose focus or get out of his stance because that's when Steph is most dangerous. So now there are a handful of guys in the league that actually can do a decent job against him. So this is where Steph has to evolve with them. Right. Just like every other star that that has come through the league, especially as as they get older, you have to find a way to evolve faster than defenses have been. And so what I would like to see is to see Steph take a little bit more advantage of guys overplaying him to the three point line and make a greater attempt to score in other spots on the floor. Steph is one of the best mid range shooters that we have in our league. It's It's a shot that he has to learn to lean on more, especially when you've got guys risking position, getting out of position for the sake of chasing you off the three-point line when there's an option there for you in the paint. And he's got an arsenal of these like scoop shots and floaters that when Steph is really clicking, that he can go to. So again, if I'm being nitpicky, I'd like to see Steph just embrace a little bit more of a of a of a very a varying shot profile. Take on a little bit more of some of the other spots on the floor rather than hunting those threes all of the time. We've seen this story too many times this year, you know, warriors down three late and Steph comes down and he just jacks a three. And it's like, sometimes they go in and sometimes they don't, you know, if he adds a little bit more versatility there, I think it will get him back into his confidence, which then will unleash that barrage of Steph three pointers that we all know. But again, you look at the numbers, it's the wide open ones that he's missing. His body looks great. So it's just a typical shooting slump. I wouldn't overthink it. I feel pretty confident that Steph's going to have a big-time end of the season. I wouldn't be shocked if he ended up over 40% by the end of the season. One last note on Steph, something that's a little bit interesting. Uh, He, in his last two postseason runs, is underneath 40% from three. That would be an indicator of serious decline. Now, uh, obviously, in the 2019 playoff run, he um, was the focal point of the defense because of a couple of injuries. So that's a little bit different. 
but it'd be interesting to see this year what he shoots from three in the postseason. I think that'll be a good indicator of where he's seriously at in terms of any sort of alleged decline. Um, but let's let's move on to Grayson Allen for a second. <clears throat> so I was thinking a lot about you know what makes Grayson Allen different from other players around the league that get people hurt because we've seen a bunch of them. I've seen, you know, we, we see that play like the Solomon Hill play on LeBron or Matthew Dellavedova in the 2015 playoffs diving into Kyle Korver's legs, that sort of thing. There is an epidemic in the NBA of dangerous hustle. This is something that needs to be talked about. That's separate from the Grayson Allen issue. I don't think guys I don't think guys should be diving for loose balls when guys are running next to him. It's kind of similar to diving at a quarterback's legs. Obviously, if you're a defensive end and an offensive lineman is pushing you down to the ground, sometimes you you have to dive, right? But the league basically decided, even though that's a natural football play, it's far more important for our quarterbacks to be healthy because that's what's best for the league. It's best for the league if our quarterbacks are on the field that's when we get our best television product and all of the 32 teams agreed. And that's the way they chose to proceed. That's kind of the type of angle that I think the NBA needs to take. Like, yeah, we get it. It's a hustle play. You're going for a loose ball, but in my opinion, similar to the Kawhi Leonard play where they, the Zaza Pachulia and Kawhi Leonard play where we decided we didn't want defenders coming up under jump shooters anymore. We have to do the same thing with all of these weird fake hustle plays where guys are diving on the floor and blowing guys' knees out and blowing guys' uh, 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 ankles out. We need to have a rule that if you dive for a loose ball and there's a player where the ball is and you take out their legs, it needs to be some kind of flagrant, some sort of, uh, some sort of accountability there because, again, it's just more important for the sake of the league, for the health of the league, for the TV product to have our basketball players actually available and able to play. But that's different. Like when I think of like other dirty players in the league, like Patrick Beverly is a good example. Patrick Beverly, like when I think about dirty plays from him, they're typically related to hustle. So they might fall in that category that I'm talking about. Like maybe it should be penalized with a flagrant or something like that. The stuff that Grayson Allen does is flat out dangerous and it's not hustle. It's just dirty. There's a huge difference between the two. You sticking your foot out and tripping a guy, that has nothing to do with you trying to make a basketball play that happens to be dangerous and getting someone hurt. That's you just being a prick. That's you just being a jerk who's trying to hurt somebody, acting like a child, unable to control your urges to lash out when you get beat off the dribble. There's, it's, it's absolutely inexcusable, and I, there's absolutely no place for it in basketball. And the same thing goes – with two basketball plays that I want to use as an example of what I'm talking about. Taylor Horton Tucker last night against Orlando on a play when Jalen Suggs took off to go to the basket. Taylor Horton Tucker went with two hands towards the ball to try to make a play. He got both hands on the basketball during the process. He got some wrist as well. And he, his momentum was at an angle that it was unfortunate and it pulled Jalen Suggs to the ground and it ended up being a dangerous play and Jalen Suggs ended up getting hurt. Now there's a blame pie there that all three players are involved because Jalen Suggs had no business trying to take off right there. He had no angle. There was no advantage. It was just an extremely dangerous move on his part. Taylor obviously pulling the ball down. That's dangerous as well. There's an angle too, where LeBron kind of has his hands up in there, kind of pushing Jalen in the chest. That's all dangerous, but they're all basketball plays. What Grayson Allen did 
was not a basketball play. He wasn't looking. He didn't know what was happening. He knew he had Alex Crusoe by the arms. He knew that by pulling him, it was going to be something super dangerous. And the worst case thing happened. And now a player who deserves consideration for the all-defense team is going to miss two months of basketball because Grayson Allen couldn't control himself again and got somebody hurt. I think Grayson Allen deserves a significantly long suspension, something that sends this very important message. Yeah, we might be able to hustle uh, to legislate dangerous hustle out of the league, but this business with Grayson Allen doing this janky, dirty stuff has to get out. The only way it's going to happen is if they levy a heavy suspension on him. There needs to be a point, if Grayson Allen's going to stay in the league, there needs to be a point where he actually starts to encounter these situations, and instead of just sticking his foot out or doing something stupid, he finally thinks about a consequence for once, and he stops doing it. It needs to be done before somebody gets seriously, seriously hurt. Maybe it's worse than a couple of months. All right, really quickly before we get out of here, I wanted to hit on this Russell Westbrook thing. So uh, after the catastrophe um, against the Indiana Pacers the other night, we had the story from Dave McMenamin about Russ walking off the floor essentially and then DeAndre Jordan kind of trying to shepherd him back to the bench. And then we heard that he skipped on the media session. But not only did he skip on the media session, he skipped the post-game meeting with the team. Like he ran back to the locker room and took a quick shower and ran out of there. And so then Russ goes on the offensive, right? He tells uh, he uh, I think he did the interview with Adrian Wojnarowski and he does this lengthy story about all the how difficult this has been and how he's just working through it and how all he wants to do is win. And he's going to do whatever it takes to to make sure he fits into that role. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, Russ is saying all the right things. And I thought the same thing. I'm like, hey, Russ is saying all the right things. But they said all the right things in that story before the season when Anthony Davis, LeBron and Russ met up and talked about what this would look like. And during that, that time, Russ said all the right things about what he would have to do to fit with LeBron and Anthony Davis. That was all said before. This is all, this is a classic talk is cheap type of situation. I just, no one's interested in you saying you have to do all the right things. Just go out and do all the right things, Russ. Like the Laker fan base, if there's one thing about the Laker fan base, they're going to be real with you, man. Like if you play really well, if you do all the little things well, if you do what's necessary to fit into this team, the, the fan base will embrace you again. They'll stop demanding that you get traded. They'll stop tr- tweeting out every bad play you make. If you actually tip the scales to where what you do good outweighs what you do bad, your impression around the team, your impression around the fan base will change. And it will. Frank will start playing you more. There's so much good that comes from that. Just focus what's going on the court. And then we get this ridiculous story today. In ESPN, talking about how Russ got back on track against the Orlando Magic. And it's just so, like, tone deaf to me. Like, come on, man. Like, we, we, you, do you really think that you going, you know, whatever it was, like seven for 15 or whatever it was against the Orlando Magic and having some success getting to the rim against that absolute dog shit defense, that that's going to be what turns everything around? Like, come on, man, like have some standards, have some understanding, like don't be so tone deaf, be, be aware of what people are asking for from you. We play the Miami Heat tomorrow. The Miami Heat have one of the best defenses in the league. They're one of the best, most well-coached teams in the league, well-coached teams in the league. 
Eric Spolstra is going to have a game plan that is going to be geared towards exposing all of Russell Westbrook's weaknesses. And what's really going to happen in that game is Russ is going to have an opportunity to show us what he really means when he says what he said to Adrian Wojnarowski the other day. Is he going to go into that game and do his defensive job on every single possession? Is he going to go into that game and never get lost off ball? Is he going to go into that game and stop hunting rebounds, but rather hunt his box out, which is more important to the team concept? Is he on the offensive end going to make the right read to take away what or to, to directly attack what Miami is game planning to take away from you? Or is it going to look like it's looked against every other good team this year where it's fast and loose for every good defensive play? There's a bad defensive play or bad jump shot selection getting into the lane and picking up your dribble and, and, and getting yourself in a bad position. Those that's what we're really watching Russ. We don't care what you did against the Orlando magic. We don't care what you say to Adrian Wojnarowski. You have a good stretch. You have a, a stretch of games here coming up against really good teams. If you go into this stretch of games and you do your job on defense, every single possession or the vast majority of the possessions and on offense, you play within the five out concept just like Malik Monk is, just like Stanley Johnson is, just like all these guys are, just do your job on both ends of the floor, I promise you, Laker fans will be thrilled to have you on the team. Laker fans will be thrilled to think about what this next two years would be like. The only reason they're not, the only reason I'm saying trade you, the only reason all these guys are saying trade you is because you're not paying attention to that stuff. And you're far more wrapped up in the old Russ instead of embracing what the new Russ needs to be. So no more of these stories, no more of these weird puff pieces and quotes coming out. Just go out and play basketball, Russ. If you go out and you play well, everything is going to turn around for you. It's really that simple. All right, guys, that's all I have for today. This is going to be on our Twitter feed, or excuse me, our podcast feed here in about 15, 20 minutes. And Raj, Raj is out of town. So uh, Vinay was kind enough to offer to join. So Vinay is going to be joining me for the post game show tomorrow. The final, right after the final buzzer, I believe it is a 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time tip. We appreciate your support as always, and I will see you guys tomorrow.